This is Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we unjumble an important and sometimes under-the-radar statewide issue that affects you. And Shayna, you know, on this one-year anniversary of the pandemic, I have distinctly remember thinking very early on this time last year, this could really go one of two ways. Look, you know, crises of this scale have a tendency to bring people together, uh, at least for a little while. So I thought, you know, there's a possibility we might all band together and do what was needed to get through an unprecedented time. Or what I admitted at the time was more likely politicians would fully politicize it and it would turn into a social and political nightmare. And you know what? (laughs) That's pretty much what's played out. I mean, this is really something that I have not been able to stop thinking about as I've been listening to all of the one year retrospective anniversary coverage is how different would things have been if you know, the country and the citizens and the politicians had managed to just treat this as a public health emergency, a public health crisis. Jake, you had an interview with Dr. Jonay Khaldun, the state's top doctor on Detroit Today. You were filling in for Stephen Henderson hosting. You did an amazing job. <laughs> I highly recommend everybody go back and listen to Jake host the show. But anyway, you had asked her a similar question about, you know, how different would this have been and, and what was the impact of having COVID-19 be so politicized? And here's what she said. It's been tough. You know, we've had, even at the level of the White House under the Trump administration, uh, just promulgation of things that were not factual. Uh, We weren't really seeing sometimes uh, facts and science coming out, again, from the top levels of of government in the country. And so that was really concerning. And I I think it made it more difficult. You know, the fact is that uh, not only has this affected perceptions across the board, but it's a affected the politicizing of this has affected you know billions of dollars in covid relief funding here in michigan it's affected education it's affected everything i mean it's in and of course it's affected even things like wearing masks which have very low impact or cost on individuals but a big impact on how the virus spreads. And that is a huge, huge challenge for public health officials now even going forward. And if we kind of set the public health part of it aside, what I will be curious about is how much damage has this done to Republicans and Democrats sort of as a whole? We have seen them really just draw lines in the sand and really retreat to their corners and become incredibly partisan during this time. You know, we had previously known that the parties were kind of going to different ends, that they were having increasing troubles working together. But be it because they haven't been able to meet in person or what, it seems like COVID-19 has really caused, especially in Michigan, uh, Republicans and Democrats to separate further and further from each other. And the long-term impact of that is is difficult to see right now. And, and I am left to wonder if it's going to be irreparable, all of the damage that has been done. And and there's no reason to deny that a lot of the politicizing has actually come from the Republican Party. There's no indication that it's paid off for them politically. I mean, a new poll, brand new poll from NPR shows 62 percent of Americans approve of President Biden's handling of the pandemic. And that roughly mirrors polls we've seen here in Michigan about the percentage of Michiganders who approve of Whitmer's response throughout the pandemic. So, you know, and of course, Republicans saw huge losses in the last election, the white House, the Senate. And so the the decision to politicize any of this does not seem to have paid off. 
We're going to go now to a very interesting conversation that we mentioned during the show. Jake, you had a an interview with Dr. Jonay Khaldun, the state's top doctor, on Detroit Today. That's right. Yeah, we talked about a lot of these things. We looked back on the past year uh, and, and also, you know, of course, what we've learned, but also what lies ahead. Uh, and again, some of the big transparency issues that the state is dealing with right now, especially Whitmer's office, Governor Whitmer's office. Um, and it was a really great conversation. And uh, the, Dr. Caldoun had a lot of interesting things to say. So, here it is, my conversation with Michigan Chief Medical Executive, Dr. Jonay Caldoun. I want to start with a little bit of news. Congress approved the new $1.9 trillion COVID relief package. Governor Whitmer's office said in a statement yesterday that this bill is on par with President Roosevelt's New Deal and President Johnson's Great Society in terms of how many Americans it'll immediately and directly benefit. But I'm curious what, what it might mean from a public health perspective. Absolutely. So we were certainly thrilled uh, by the news. It means that we'll have more resources for the people of Michigan and and be able to really move forward with ending this pandemic and supporting people with the things that they they need. Uh, It's going to be a long haul when it comes to uh, getting back to some sense of normalcy, even when the cases and deaths and our vaccines are where we want them to be. We'll still have much more to do when it comes to recovery. So really, really important uh, package. And uh, I want to ask you actually a little bit about the the cases that we've been seeing here in Michigan. Uh, we we have, although we saw a decline uh, recently, quite a bit from the the second spike. Uh, we are seeing cases rising a little bit here in Michigan after that big drop. Uh, there's a lot of focus on these new variants of the disease uh, in this increase, and we've also been hearing that there these variants are more contagious than the original virus, but. I mean, if you look at the spread of those variants now versus the original virus this time last year, they're actually it seems like they're spreading much slower in some ways. What does it mean in that case that they are more contagious? So we absolutely are are watching our cases closely, and and we are concerned after seeing about six weeks of continuous decline after we saw our fall surge, uh, we've started to see a slight uptick in in cases. And of course, as you mentioned, these new variants. So what's concerning about these new variants is that they are more easily transmitted. So for every one person who has the virus, they're more likely to spread it, and they're more likely to spread it to more people. Uh, National experts believe that potentially by the end of this month, the B117 UK variant might be uh, the more prevalent virus uh, across the entire country. Hmm. And so that's concerning. I I will say that there are likely more cases of the variants uh, in the state and across the country. We just are not able to sequence uh, uh, all of the cases. So we don't 100% know where they may be. And if you're just comparing, um, I guess in this case, sort of apples and oranges from last uh, March to to the, to the beginning of this year, um, I assume that the the things that we've done to adapt to the pandemic are also uh, making the spread slower in some ways of those vir- variants. Absolutely. So that's that's very true. So a year ago, we didn't have nearly the amount of testing that we needed to even be able to understand where the virus was. So I know that we had a lot more cases of COVID-19 a year ago than we actually identified. But yes, we, we've learned so much over the past year. Wearing a mask and wearing it properly over your nose and mouth, those are things that really do prevent uh, the spread of this virus and the variants. And again, we, we didn't know that a year ago. Mm-hmm. So exactly. But these same public health measures 
measures are really important in preventing the spread of the variants. So on that note, I, I, I do want to ask you about some of the ways that this pandemic has been politicized over the last year, now that we're looking back one year later. Um, you know, even the most benign things like wearing masks, things that have a huge impact on the spread of the disease that don't seem to have a huge individual cost, um, those things have been politicized. And of course, we've seen even broader politiz- politicization of this. Um, I'm curious what that has meant uh for your abilities as a public health uh, expert and someone helping to make these decisions to contain this crisis, the, the, how, how have the politics affected that? Yeah, you know, it has been, uh, it's been tough. You know, we've had, even at the level of the White House under the Trump administration, uh, just promulgation of things that were not factual. Uh, We weren't really seeing sometimes uh, facts and science coming out, again, from the top levels of of government in the country. And so that was really concerning, and I I think it made it more difficult. I can say, though, I'm very proud of Michiganders. Uh, When I talk to my colleagues across the country, and even anecdotally, people who have traveled to other states and they come to Michigan, we do have, I think, a a strong culture in Michigan of of just mask wearing. Um, By and large, people have accepted that it's the right thing to do. It protects you, it protects your community and your family. Um, So I I do think Michigan has has done a really good job, but it it has been concerning. It's made it more difficult as a public health leader to be able to really get these bread and butter public health measures across. Uh, We've we've done a good job in Michigan, I'd say, by and large. You know, I I believe we've had some really amazing short term and long term achievements just in I mean, in less than a year, we have developed highly effective vaccines new treatments for COVID-19. I, I think we could probably consider this the public health space race, right? Uh, I'm curious about, though, the long-term failures in your mind. I mean, what do you fear we might fail to correct for future public health crises? Yes, absolutely. So the fact that we now have three safe and effective vaccines, the fact that uh, almost one million Michiganders are, are fully vaccinated right now, that, that's absolutely miraculous. Uh, so we've, we've really made a lot of progress. Uh, I will say, uh, I think the one thing that really, really concerns me and that really came to the forefront throughout this pandemic are the health inequities and the disparities we identified quite early when it comes to COVID cases and deaths and the fact that Black and Brown communities were more severely impacted by the virus, not just in Michigan, but across the entire country. And and that's really not about skin color. It's about lack of resources, uh, lack of opportunity, people being more likely to live in poverty and and to be exposed. And I do hope that the lessons we've learned through this pandemic really carry on into the future so that we are supporting all communities so that they can protect themselves and have the most optimal health outcomes. You were recently named to President Biden's COVID-19 Health Equity Task Force. And as you said, this has been one of the defining aspects of the pandemic, the fact that it will forever serve as a glaring example of the racial inequities that have always existed in our healthcare system. I'm curious specifically, what absolutely needs to happen to address those disparities so that the next public health crisis doesn't land so heavily on marginalized and oppressed people here in America, and and specifically things that we could do right now. Uh, what, what could we do today to change those outcomes? 
Absolutely. So I'm actually quite proud of, of Michigan. Uh, we identify the, the racial disparity very early on uh, because of the leadership of Governor Whitmer, Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist. We were able to pull together the racial disparities task force and implement specific policies and actions to uh, eliminate disparities. And to date, uh, we actually saw a decrease uh, in the disparity and African-Americans are no longer disproportionately uh, represented when it comes to COVID-19 cases and deaths. And so how do we do that? It was very intentional. Uh, we targeted a lot of our communication efforts uh, in black and brown communities to make sure that they understood the risk uh, and had the resources necessary to protect themselves. We also partnered with community groups and brought testing into communities of color where people may not have the same access. I also myself personally did a lot of communications with our, our medical community, making sure they understood that this disparity existed and that they should be really mindful of uh, the, the disparity and the risk of exposure that people they may be taking care of had. We also distributed free masks uh, throughout the state. So no one should go without a mask uh, because because they couldn't afford it or they didn't know where to get one. So I think just being very strategic uh, and, and targeted when it comes to disparities and also importantly, working with communities. It's really important that people who are in, in office or have certain positions of power uh, don't think that they know better than the communities that they're serving. And I think we've done a, a decent job of that here in Michigan, engaging communities and making sure they have a seat at the table when it comes to the solutions that are necessary to improve health outcomes. Yeah. So, you know, throughout this entire pandemic, journalists and other government watchdog groups have been concerned about their ability to get information uh, from the administration about why the state was shutting down certain types of businesses and, uh, and gathering places, the benchmarks that it is using to determine when the risk is low enough to dial things up or back. Uh, do you personally have any regrets about the ways that information has been shared or, or made available to the public? No, I, I certainly understand some of those frustrations, but again, I'm a, I'm a practicing ER doctor and, mm -hmm. you know, unfortunately, science uh, is, is an art. It's not definite. We across the entire world have been learning more and more about the virus. We know a lot more today uh, than we did a year ago. Uh, and unfortunately, there's no specific number or uh, specific thing that would mean that you definitely should move forward in a particular way. As a public health leader, I have always advised on things that are more risky. For example, indoors is more risky than outdoors. The larger the gathering, the more risk there is. Of course, when you're in a place where you cannot wear a mask, that's more risky than if you can wear a mask. And so it's not been about particular businesses. It's more about risk and looking at how the virus is spreading and bringing a lot of different uh, numbers and metrics together which is really how science works. Uh, it's, it's certainly not cookie cutter and you have to evaluate risk uh, and, and many factors. You know, I, I think that, you know, one of those areas we've seen a lot of discussion like this about is on nursing homes. I think some of the accusations around nursing homes have verged on, if not fully crossed into conspiracy theory territory, but there are still some big trans, uh, transparency questions there, too. Um, how is the state determining which cases and deaths are counted as nursing, nursing home cases and deaths? And uh, are you confident that the data the state has is accurate? Uh, for example, there's confusion over whether people who die at hospitals after being transported from nursing homes are counted as such. 
Yeah, so I will say one thing that I've been challenged with throughout this pandemic, and, and not just me, but other but that from the federal, state, and local level, it's it's data. I'll be quite frank with you, our data systems and technology uh, in public health have not been well invested in over decades. And I think that has borne out uh, throughout this pandemic. There is not an instant uh, button or two that I can push to tell me exactly the demographics of someone who has COVID, demographics of someone who's uh, passed away due to COVID. It, it takes a lot of work and, and pulling in data from, from many systems. Oftentimes it's manual uh, or it's, it's someone has to uh, verbally <laughs> To tell it to someone else. So it, it's very challenging to pull the data together. Uh, I am confident that we have really done a, a good job of sharing data. We do have data on uh, cases and deaths in nursing homes on our website, but we were able to pull that together very quickly. And we will continue to work to improve, but there, there certainly is, is nothing to hide. And we have really worked to improve our data collection and reporting throughout this pandemic. We have been asking folks about what's giving them hope and the silver linings they found over the past year. Uh, really quick, what about you? Uh, you know what gives me hope is I think the silver lining in this pandemic is that we have built so many wonderful partnerships, partnerships between public health departments, businesses, health systems, uh, and, and others. And I really think that it's it's shown us how if we pull together and we align our efforts, we can really help and protect each other. So I think that's the silver lining is the partnerships. And I hope that continues even when this pandemic is over. All right, Dr. Janae Caldoun, Michigan's Chief Medical Executive, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me on. All right, that's all for Mishmash. I'm Jake Neer. And I'm Shayna Roth. Thanks for listening. 